Hello. I hear tell that the kids these days are doing something a bit edgy. So edgy that a writer for The Atlantic got a little nervous, wrote a whole article about it. Apparently these kids, they, they're even doing it in public sometimes. Oh, and it's, 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 they can do it in unison. Like they all know the words together as if they've done it before, like, and are practiced at it. And so, sometimes even when they're in public, they like kneel and they, they seem quite absorbed in their devo devotions, devotion. Oh my goodness. Look what I have. I, I hear that you use these beads to say particular greetings, perhaps to the mother of our Lord. I think, I think, I think, don't you, we should find out what they're doing tonight. Welcome to the Mosaic Ark. Welcome. Are you ready? Are we going to say this prayer now? I mean, I've got my beads, right? I, I, these, I, I think I had them specially made. My husband bought them for me and I really wish I remember what, what, um, craft people we got them from because, well, everybody has their own beads and they're their favorite beads. And so welcome. What are we going to talk about? Do you know how to do these beads? You, you Coptic people? We do it different <laughs> kinds. <laughs> Us old cops do a different. Oh, kind. you do, you do. I thought that was just yeah. a, something, just this weird thing that Roman Catholics did. No. Yeah. Uh, all these, all these Orthodox people running around with all these different kinds of beads. Uh, we don't have what you have. We have a different tradition. Oh yeah. Yes. Do you, do, do you think we should do this rosary tradition. thing then? If you don't, if if what if not all Christians do exactly the same prayers? I think the world explodes. Uh oh. Well, we're all, we're 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 <laughs> we're definitely in to write about it. <laughs> They're worried something's going to just go. <laughs> but um, no, we don't we don't do the rosary. Uh, we do our own thing. Do you even uh, do you even know Mary? How? What if you don't do the rosary? Do you do you know Our Lady? Yes. Oh, <laughs> oh dear. With enough. With another, with another uh, kind of. Apparently, you know a little bit about this. I heard. Do I? Do the I? Christians have been talking, and apparently, you know a lot about this. How would I know anything about this? I don't know. There's a book. 
that you a book wrote, apparently a whole, haven't a book? you written a book <laughs> uh maybe maybe did i write a book mm -hmm. yes you did do you have this said book yes on my kindle which is oh oh <laughs> maybe, maybe does i wait look maybe i have it in my lap <laughs> ah, there it is that's the one shall we show the people which book we're talking about yes yes well here it is oh not that book this book this book are we going to talk about this book maybe it's showing I hope okay so. <laughs> Otherwise, we're never going to figure out the mystery of all of these um, pesky children. What 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 are they doing? Yes, the street causing chaos. Well, they 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 they. I'm showing a picture of a of a, a young woman that I found in the church. Well, it's a stained glass window, right? And she she seems to be holding these beads in a fairly reverent position. And and this is, in fact, you you'll have started recognizing that many of our um, pictures come from the same church. It's my church in 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 Chicago, St. John Cantius. And here we have. This, this prayer practice that people are saying rosaries. We even, and when I was saying we knelt, we actually knelt in the street for a procession that we did on Corpus Christi. So I can I can verify that this kind of thing actually happens, that Catholics go out into the street and actually kneel publicly and do these, these odd devotions that, well, it, it seems that someone at the Atlantic found kind of terrifying. Did, did you find it terrifying? No, I, I clearly like dark, horrifying things. <laughs> dark, horrifying things. Why would you like dark, horrifying things? Mm. Well, we've got, a, we've got a penchant for focusing on the ridiculous, don't we, mm. uh, in our, uh, our tradition. Um, we like to look at the, the lives of the saints and the martyrs. And of course, okay. a lot of a lot of Christians are uh, uh, have have lost connection with the the apostolic church that uh, gives us the stories of the saints and martyrs in, in in church liturgies. So maybe not as comfortable as we are with uh, things like the relics and uh, the uh, the stories of. Uh, the saints in the catacombs and the monks mm. that are playing with skulls in their monasteries and things like that. But 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 prayer. I'm I'm showing the people some pictures of some prayer books and mm -hmm. I've got some beads and there's oh, a book on the liturgy and there's a handbook of prayer and there's even this incenser this incense burner uh -huh. that I think maybe a friend sent me. <laughs> um, and. Uh, you know, people look at prayer like rosary prayers or prayer practices, and it all it all can either seem a little bit like over elaborate. Here, here, you know, do you need mm -hmm. do you need a whole stack of books to be able to pray? Shouldn't you just be praying you know, sort of like as it hits you, right? Sort of, if if you have to say formulae for prayers, isn't that a little bit mechanical? Um, and uh, people also sometimes they they often worry in prayer practices about well, whether it's actually your own experience, your own feelings, and then and then on the obverse side, I you know I I tend to find when people ask me about well you know how do you pray the rosary, I I feel like they're often asking me, am I saying the words right? So it mm. it's you know it seems to be this this two poles of things. It's like do I need all oh, this this giant stack of books? Do I need this giant book that Professor Fulton Brown <laughs> wrote in order to say it right? Shouldn't I just say it off the top? Shouldn't I just pray off the top of my head? Or what if I say the prayer is wrong? 
Does it work if you say them wrong? What's saying it wrong? What would even saying it wrong mean? Interesting. Well, um, what what kind of uh, what's the what's the point in using the first place? Like, why? What kind of words are they repeating in these books? Are they made up by individuals, and uh, have they been passed around to a bunch of people, or are they taking words from specific places? Uh, well, the I mean, the, the thing that people tend to say with the beads, and we can talk about the beads and whether or not you're supposed to use props, mm -hmm. right? But the, the thing that they tend to say, at least in the Middle Ages, was Ave Maria, Grazia, Plena, Dominus, Tecum, mm -hmm. Benedicta Tua, Miliaribus, Benedictus, Fructus, Ventris, Tui, which is kind of in the scriptures. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it in. It's like in, you're saying magical formula. Uh, are they magical formula though? It's the greeting that Gabriel gave to Mary, and it's the greeting that Elizabeth gave to Mary. Um, it technically it just says um, "Ave Gratia Plena." The Maria's added in there as part of the expression um, into Luke's, but they're both in Luke, and and that, in fact, throughout the Middle Ages, what was what people tended to say with the the beads. They didn't tend to say. This, the the second part, which I don't know as easily in Latin because I don't tend to say that, but the um, pray, um, now I can't remember. <laughs> oh, golly. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. That part, the Holy Mary, Mother of God, is in fact added in the, in the, in the later Middle Ages. And so I don't tend to say it if I say the Ave Maria because I do consider it a, an addition to the practice, but Maybe you get upset just saying the Ave Maria at all. Well, why is it so upsetting? Why are people so upset by that? Well, that the uh, the prayer is called the Ave Maria, yes. Yes. Okay. Well, so I mean, we just say it. It's an Ave. It's that greeting. Hail, hail, okay. hail, Mary, full of grace. So why is that upsetting so many people to hear uh, to hear Catholics specifically greeting the Lady of the Lord, the the Mother of the Lord? You know, I real I haven't figured this out. I talk about in my book how in the 16th century, this is the the major thing that the Protestants, particularly in England, say. It's like it's not a prayer, or you know, you shouldn't pray to Our Lady. It's like, well, it's not actually technically a prayer. The Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners. Is it's a prayer for her intercession, which we've talked about in previous episodes. How prayers for Mary's intercession are very very ancient. And the oldest. The oldest Christian prayers we have is a prayer to Our Lady, the Septuagint Presidium. But in fact, the, the the Ave Maria is repeating angel the angel Gabriel's greeting to Our Lady, right? So why should okay. why should it be a bad thing to repeat the angel Gabriel's greeting to Our Lady? Interesting. So so why uh, why were Christians repeating this greeting? Why was this greeting so important to the Christians that began to say this as a as a prayer practice? Well, so this is this this is where my life gets really difficult. The whys. <laughs> <laughs> I love no yeah, no I love difficult stuff. Start, <laughs> start start saying Hail Mary. No, that I'm actually very interested in the whys. I get very interested in. I mean, there's historical whys and there's practical whys. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm interested, I'm actually interested in both. I'm interested in how does the practice develop. Um, and I'm also interested in 
I'd say the, I mean, it, all of the words that I, I, you know, typically use as an academic tend to feel kind of pale and, and, and pointless. But I mean, the phenomenological, which is a fancy way of saying the sort of the experience that you have in the midst of doing something and then experiential. Well, experience actually is a good medieval claim that, you know, whether we've had experience of these things. But what you and I have talked about, it's like we actually get to the liturgical. What we're trying to show is what it's like being inside these practices as you would if you were saying them out of devotion or in, in worship, right? And I'm very, so I'm very interested in the why, both whys, right? How does this develop as a practice? And what kind of practice is it? What kind of experience do people have in it? So which one did you just ask me? Which why do you want an answer to? <laughs> well, you, you've written the, the book, uh, Mary in the Art of Prayer, as a kind of uh, snapshot of a lived experience which is very unique and in in the in the culture at the moment you're always hearing people say well according to my my lived experience and this is my lived experience right. and therefore this is an authoritative uh, uh opinion or pers perspective but it's it, it has not been the case in academia that the lived experience of medieval christians is a sort of valid perspective you on the other hand <laughs> have gone ahead <laughs> and written uh, a book, a, a, a successful attempt at writing. I've set her up to say all of this, you yes, know. She bribed me with a lot of, uh, a lot of chocolate. Um, no, not really. The, uh, I think I the, bribed you with beautiful pictures and photographs. You did. <laughs> um, an amazing sound quality because I'm terrible at saying Oh, that. well, there you go. Um, <laughs> I bribed you with experience <laughs> and practice. Oh my goodness. Lived experience. Lived experience. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you did, you, you, you basically, you, you prepared this book as a way of showing people the lived experience of medieval Christians, which has not been done before. It's a very um, kind of uh, shocking difference to read it compared to a regular academic um, book studying the history of, of, of anything. So why lived experience? What made you do that? Oh my goodness, yes. Well, um, one, because obviously Our Lady was nudging me to do it and I'm just stuck with having, mm -hmm. to, to, having to deal with that because I prayed and when I was younger for wisdom and, and my book is actually about a quest for wisdom. Um, so that, that's, I suppose, at another level of, of problem. But also because I, I do, I mean, we're here streaming partly because I need to know what it's like being in this this environment, right? We're in this mm -hmm. digital environment. We need to know what it's like. We've talked a lot about this streaming now, and it's turning into a really active metaphor for us. And I realize that I always want to know the meaning of things from within that practice. And I take, you know, spiritual understanding is as one of the things that we do also need to understand. I don't think you can understand fencing unless you've been a fencer. I don't think you can understand, you know, playing the fiddle. I did play the fiddle for 10 years, not terribly well, because I needed to know what it was like from within that musical practice. And and I realized that with, with prayer practice, I, I talk about this in the book, how in the academy, we, we just haven't figured out any way to talk about it at all. There's, you know, and I start the book with this meditation that's one of my very favorite from C.S. Lewis, where he's talking about, it's it's called the Medi a Meditation in a Tool Shed, and it's a little piece that he published in the 40s, um, how he had been in his tool shed, 
and saw a beam of light coming through the crack on the top of the door. And standing from outside of the beam, he said, I could see the beam of light, right? I could see the dust motes dancing in it. And, and you know, the sort of, you could actually see the beam. But then he says, I stepped into it. And then instead of being able to see the beam, which you couldn't anymore, you could see along it to the two, you know, the, the, the trees outside and in, in sort of rustling in the wind, you get the idea of. And then to the sun, you know, however far away it is, 93 million miles away, he says. Um, I mean, this is resonant for Lewis because he was actually very interested in astronomy. And if another stream that we can do one day is about the Narnia books and how they're actually all about the planets. But anyway, so he's he's thinking in sort of cosmic terms of when I'm outside of the beam, I can see it. But when I'm in it, I can see things that I can only see by it. And it's obviously a lovely metaphor for seeing by the light, right? That we we as Christians are invited to step into God's light and see along that light to spiritual realities that we can't see when we're outside of it. And that outside view, Lewis goes on, because he's an academic as he's writing this too, saying, in academia, all we've ever done is stand outside the beam and look at it. Right. And and that that we have this conviction that we can explain things better from outside love, for example, or um, well, actually gives the example of love. Right. If you're a lover and you're and you're within the love, you see your lover, you're looking along the beam at your lover from outside. Oh, well, you know, the psychologist might explain it as a hormonal thing or, you know, yeah. the sociologist might explain your ritual dances for fertility as, you know, some kind of being a performative functional thing that all of all of the social sciences they're constant sociology psychology um, political science they're all stepping outside the beam and trying to say we as scientists we as scholars know more about it than the people that are participating in it which is quite a claim but, well it's it's the one that we've been you know drowning in obviously since even before lewis that we end up with this those who are not participants in the experience know better about the experience than the people that have actually lived it, which is then making the kind of weird sort of schizophrenia, I think, in academia now, where we have all these people saying, well, that's not my lived experience. You can't possibly speak for me. Mm. And it is, I find it very, very strange that, of course, I then say, I'm a Christian. I want to understand a particular kind of prayer practice. I'm going to rhetorically take you inside this frame, inside this prayer practice by showing you its history and then showing you the practices that people um, uh, lived with. And I am told as a scholar, well, that's not scholarship anymore. That's that you made it up. And I'm like, but but <laughs> these other experiences you say can only be understood by way of people's lived experience. So which is it? Right. I, it's a it's I, I, I mean, go ahead. Oh, it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting problem there because. What what they're essentially saying is that it's maybe too uncomfortable that particular lived experience uh, more than any others. Uh, is 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 there something about Christianity which our culture has needs to be looked at only from the outside to uh, to keep uh, to keep us in that. Uh, safe, uh, non-aligned uh, uh, arena, like that secular perspective of uh, of looking at it empirically. 
Do you think, do you th like, do you think this is a taboo that we are not looking at Christianity from the inside in this way? Uh, because of a, a fear maybe that the, uh, the effect of going into it is going to transform people or uh, maybe knock some other taboos out of the way? Could there be? Could it be? It certainly it, it is certainly taboo, right? And and I I was a bit startled by this because this is I've written two big academic books, right? And they're both like ridiculously long and took me decades to write and, and think through. Um, the first one I it, so naturally I'm the one that's going to ask you about the book. Yeah, yeah. Because, well, because, no, because I did write the the second one. I should stop gripping my notes. I did write the second one because I was trying to bridge. I mean, it's like there, yes. there's a there was a fashion back when I was studying anthropology for a bit. And, you know, Victor Turner and his wife Edith wrote about pilgrimage as a liminal experience, right? And there's mm -hmm. there's all sorts of ways in which academia got very excited with these Elizabethan liminal experiences. Well, I'm actually going to do it. I'm going to write a book that's both inside and outside, right? And, and that I'm going to make the threshold, the passage into the frame very, very clear, which I do in this book. Um, but I am going to take you inside and in my first book, I, I I I I wrote abstractly about empathy as a methodology, and people really like that, right? And I'm like, okay, that's good. I'll do it. I'll do it more. <laughs> you seem to like that. I'll go off and study psychology for a year and and some years and read. I mean, I read an evolutionary psychology stuff enough to know what's nonsense and what what's actually possibly helpful. But it's all from the outside, right? And so I say, I need to find a way to practice inside, which when when you're describing, it's like why in academia are people scared? The Atlantic article is clearly trying to set up a fright frame for look at all, I mean, what what did they say about the, um, you know, saying the rosary is like, you know, guns, right? Guns and rosaries. I, I think they changed the title after that. That was too good, right? It was like, it was, it, yeah. it, it was, it was too metal. <laughs> and so they had to change it now. It's some, some lame title that's, what does he call it now? Oh, I looked it up. Yes, how extremist gun culture is trying to co-opt the rosary. I think the original title was a bit, a bit, a bit edgier, right? And and so there is, you know, there is a kind of feel of of danger and 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 um, terror. But I I think what you've just said, it's like it's not it's not even of of necessarily the guns part of it. It's the practice itself, the rosary practice mm -hmm. itself, the the what happens if you are actually within that prayer, not just looking at the people kneeling, but actually on your knees. Mm. So this is a part of the so this is the a part of the the public shock and uh, shock and awe response at suddenly seeing young people holding these beads. I think this is this is yep. sort of the the, the the point of why that Atlantic article was so um, hilarious is that it's not the <laughs> rosary itself that they seem to be worried about. It was that yes. young people were suddenly starting to take this prayer tool in their hands and use it publicly. So. For someone like me, who's come from a, a an environment where uh, you're not used to seeing people praying the rosary, your your book gives a very good insight into exactly how different the culture was when this was a, um, a ubiquitous part of Christian life 
uh, right. in, the, in the medieval times. And it wasn't a source of extremism. It was the source of something completely different. They were using the, the beads as a kind of tool, but you, you explain this very well in the sense that what they're actually doing is uh, directing their attention by using this tool. So is it that the, the, is it that the attention is suddenly becoming too uh, focused? Is this the problem, or uh, am I am I kind of going on the long? Uh, no, I think yet? I think that's exactly it. It's a, it's the attention, right? It, it, and and you mm. think about, I mean, what do we have to do in order to get people to come and play with us on the live stream, right? We have to get people's attention. <laughs> and, <laughs> and and one one of the things I did um, back in sort of preparing to write this book and trying to figure out how to do it methodologically was I did a class on spiritual exercises, history and practice, and we did we read spiritual texts from you know a variety of traditions. We read some yoga texts, we read some Jewish texts, we read a lot of medieval Christian stuff because obviously I know that. Um, and one of the meditations we had specifically was reading William James's um, studies in psychology. He's one of the beginning psychologists, right? American psychologist, William James. And, and his meditation on what attention is and how it works mm -hmm. and realizing, yes, we understand that, uh, you know, it, it's a sort of, you can see it in eye, track, eye tracking stuff, right? We're sort of, what are you attending to? What are you attending to? And because you can see the whites of our eyes, you can tell which direction we're looking. So it, mm -hmm. um, painters in the in the Renaissance period take you know make a big deal out of this, right? You can optically figure out how to make it look like the painting's looking at you. But we care about that. We care about where are you looking, where where is your attention, and something like the this this prayer practice. It's clearly, I mean, the whole point of it is to focus your attention very powerfully. Interesting. So. <clears throat> the the medieval christians have have started this this practice with beads or i mean is it uh is this older than the medieval uh rosary i mean have christians always focused their attention i think this is uh, using these beads i think this is something mm. that i need to ask you first because otherwise I, I have to ask you this otherwise i'm going to be bombarded with all the ortho bros after this <laughs> i'll have half the orthodox internet on my back Good, saying, good. We want to talk to them. We the want to talk to them. You're a cop, you're in schism, and now you're talking about Roman Catholic prayer beads, and it's got nothing to do with our chotki and no, 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 So, well, I don't know. I mean, you sent you sent me some pictures. I've got a, a picture on screen right now from a 16th century painting showing some German beads. But, but I, I understand. Oh, wait. Here's some beads that I just overlaid. It. You said these were Coptic. There's some wooden yes. beads with a little um, clover leaf on the bottom. This is a, yes, a... I had to write down how to pronounce them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, my Coptic's bad. And look, uh, and look, there's even another. There's some beads on a on a on a saint's um, shrine, lying down. Yes. Yes. That's Saint Bishoy. Okay. I believe Saint Bishoy, but yeah, the Mekuteria, Mekuteria. Um, uh, so they're used. Excuse me. They're used uh, very similarly, from what I can tell, to the the Roman Rosary, but of course they they're preceding the practice of of that specific Roman prayer prayer bead. But from mm -hmm. from what I've been able to read, this was something that all Christians shared. 
it's not a, uh, a practice specific to Romans. Well, it's very, it's very likely that the, I mean, it, it's, it's almost like very likely, it's almost guaranteed given the kinds of conversations you and I've had that mm -hmm. the, the Northern Europeans got it from the Mediterranean. Um, and it's, it's even more likely that the British Isles got it from the Copts. Um, because the earliest, the earliest instance we have of someone mentioned as having beads in the North is um, an Anglo-Saxon um, queen, oh, wow. right? So they, they seem to, you know, and, and she, um, yeah, so prayer beads, they come in the 11th or 12th centuries as a, as a prop for mm -hmm. Northern Christians. But you and I have also talked about how much of the iconography, much of the prayer practice, I mean, for the, the British Isles, particularly for England, the Marian feasts, that they're observing at the time the Normans show up in 1066, all of those came from the East, the Mediterranean. So mm -hmm. even asking, it's like, which came first? We showed the picture from Bawit with the um, Christ mm -hmm. on the, the chariot and Our Lady, our, the, you know, Theotokos from the, the Egyptian fifth, sixth century. These are very, very ancient practices. And I think, you know, it, it's, it's unfortunate that in the in the west now we think of them as simply roman catholic they're not they're they're christian mm. so as a as a christian practice to direct the attention uh you talked you talked in the in the book uh, uh that the, you were going to take everyone through the frame and you you mentioned this that the frame itself is really important and it was a specifically important concept to medieval Christians because they were trying to understand the frame through which they could see Christ. Right. Um, without, without kind of getting, uh, without getting lost, like I, <laughs> I think, because I'm like, there's five, five different things happening in my head at the moment that, you you've been wanting to bring everyone into the point at which they're looking like Lewis did through the window directly at the right. sun, which of course has a kind of metaphor of us being able to see God Himself. How was this possible, and how did medieval Christians see that uh, see that mankind were suddenly able to see God? What was the frame that allowed them to see him? Well, I, you're setting me up for I think the answer is Mary, but yes. um, but but there, there there are various ways to get into that that frame. And I said, you know, I have two whys that I try to answer in the book. One is the why historically, and the other is the why as a practice. Um, and mm -hmm. people people are people find different whys, you know, more and less satisfying, right? It's like saying this should be. Why should we be doing a practice that becomes, you know, normalized in the sense of standardized only, in fact, in the late fifteenth century? That I'm 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 sorry to all Roman Catholics who are watching who have been told that Saint Dominic gave these beads to Mary. Mm -hmm. It's not true. <laughs> at least not in the sense of the historical story that I can, you know, that we can tell that what did happen was in the late 15th century, the Dominicans were very, very interested in promoting a particular form of this meditational and prayer practice. And they told that story about the founder of their own order, having also been the one who received the beads from Mary. And most, most of what people, if you recognize the beads now in their, their usual format, so that there's, 
um, across and the, the Paternoster beads, I'm showing mine, right? And the Ave beads and the Paternoster bead and, and those with the five decades, right? That, that Those forms, we can see them, I'll show you, say, for example, whoops, um, Um, th this is a prayer book, The Hours of Catherine of Cleves, which shows a, an earlier version of, of, of a kind of rosary like this. Um, the, the, the sort of formalized five-decade bead structure, that's, that is late medieval. And um, I, we can go through the history of where, where this all came from and why, they're, you know, why the, 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 the rosary contains as many beads as it does and, and so forth. But if you're worrying about the authenticity of this practice because you know, either was you know, given to a saint by Our Lady or whether or not it's inauthentically Christian because of the history, my why of the history may help you mm. feel happier, right? Um, if you're worried as a Christian for the other reason that people often are, and this is, we alluded to this at the beginning, um, Protestants in the in the 16th century became very anxious about saying same praises to Our Lady for for one thing. Um, they also, and this is you know thanks to Martin Luther who who gets to I mean Luther gets to be my my go to you know villain right because <laughs> he is for my purposes for a lot of reasons. But I I on the other hand I actually have some sympathy for how he got to this place right. Um, Luther very famously came down extremely hard on the regular prayer practices of the monasteries because well he had been a monk and then he left the monastery and so he needs to excuse himself for having given up his that his, his regular practice mm -hmm. right and there's there's a a passage in his table talk where he talks about that babbling and bellowing that used to go on in the monasteries was not real prayer right so what's real prayer well it's not that babbling and bellowing that goes on in the monasteries it's not scripted liturgical prayer it's this other thing which ironically the protestants come up with common prayer they all say together and sing from the same hymn book so <laughs> your mileage may vary but what what's <laughs> this the anxiety so there's two there's one is it is it authentically christian where does it come from which is one pole of what we want to talk about and two is is it appropriate to use scripted memorized prayers when you know either that seems so mechanical right which was one of the the protestant um critiques of it, at least in the 16th century or by the 19th century you have movements like um the the early evangelicals right the the methodists and and so forth writing hymns that everybody sang together <laughs> but, um saying that you know real prayer should be spontaneous and and you know effusive and felt and the 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 critique criticism there being well if you're saying something that's that's rehearsed and memorized and not your own words it clearly can't be truly felt um so mm -hmm. so we can do we can which would you like to do the historical or the the practice maybe we should do the historical first and get to the felt but but those are those yeah. to me those are the two different problems so that to get to the point where you can see mary as the frame for the kind of experience that medieval Christians describe in their miracle stories, for example, it takes a lot of unpacking. It's like a the sort of, um, well, it's like donkey's onion in, in Shrek, right? <laughs> They're layers. But in in the book, I also and I forgot to put this in the slides, right? There in the book, I try to say well, it's kind of like ascending the staircase, which is also a, a metaphor. Like first you have the the historical yes. base, and you go up through the scriptural exegesis, through the liturgy, to the point where you maybe can get to the place where you can say, okay, I understand enough of the the thought world that they've trained themselves mm -hmm. into that we can get to that place where you see 
you know, Our Lady as the frame that she's she's meant to be. But but you see now why the book's a bit long, right? It's like there's there's several different orthogonal problems to to get at. So for everyone who would be criticizing it first off so we've got like the the atlantic style criticism which these crazy kids are you know running around with these uh rosaries and radical ideas like praying in the streets <laughs> right they're battle rosaries battling demons battle, yeah the ak ak47 rosary um then then you've got the 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 protestant view or um you know the the non any any non-catholic uh, sort of sees prayer as purely emotional, um, nothing rehearsed, and that that, uh, that views the the repetition of prayers as a, a kind of heretical prayer or something that isn't uh, pleasing to God. So, what exactly is the Rosary making uh, allowing people to do? What what kind of prayer is being said using the Rosary? that is going to be rehearsed and, and repeated. I, I think like, this is what I, I'd like you to kind of explain to people so okay. that they understand. It's not necessarily not emotional, even though it is repetitive. Right. Well, okay, so the form most people know now is is the late 15th century one, which is um, the, the Our Fathers and, and the Aves grouped in sets of 10. And the Aves mm -hmm. in their sets of 10 keyed to particular events in Christ and Mary's life, right? So the mysteries mm. that you have, the, the glorious, the, the, sorry, the joys, which in earlier Middle Ages are just the Gaudes, right? They're the five joys of Mary, um, the sorrows, the glories, and then the luminous ones, which I hear there's a debate about whether or not you can add things to. It's like, well, unfortunately, the rosary is invented historically. So yes, you can add them if you like them. Um, the, those meditations are um, historical events in, in the sense of they happen in time in the history of creation. And by the later Middle Ages, um, the, the, the saying of the Ave Maria has been paired with, well, you can see on the, in the manuscript that I'm showing you here, this Hours of Catherine of Cleves, that these books of hours also tended to have um, pictures from the joys and the sorrows, right? And so keying your meditations to these events makes a lot of sense because they're kind of already in your prayer books and you can meditate on the Annunciation, the Visitation, the Nativity, I think it's like the, the, the finding in the temple and the, the, um, the, the circumcision and the finding in the temple. I'm not always that great on exactly what they are because the mysteries change in the Middle Ages. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, and, and they shift around, right? So it, it's, it's more the idea of holding in your mind while you're saying the greeting to Mary, these events in her life, right? And in miracle stories that we have from the earlier period, before these mysteries are key to the, the greeting, there's stories about how pleased Mary is when you say the, the Ave, because for her, hearing the Aves is like, hearing that moment is is being in that moment again when the angel said it to her the first time right and mm. and there's lovely miracle stories where she's saying slow down slow down you're saying it too fast it's like i want i want to have that same sweetness that i had in the moment in which i felt my child in my womb right so it's it's actually really you're 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 reminding mary as it were of that moment of the incarnation and you know the, the recept reciprocity you're thinking of it too so um, that that kind of attention to the events in salvation history 
it's a it's an imaginative exercise in the sense that you know by the later middle ages you're often filling in a lot of the details just like in a painting mm-hmm. um and and particularly with um, when you get things like the the Jesuit spiritual exercises, they develop whole repertoires of practices about imagining yourself into these scenes. So it's a it's a trained kind of attention. It's a very trained practice. And um, I I think now when people ask you know or worry about saying the rosary correctly, it's it's that right. They want to make sure they're saying the mystery with the right sets and 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 you know the the right things on the right beads and so forth. Mm. Okay, so you just said a couple of things that are going to trigger everybody. First off, you mentioned Jesuits. <laughs> um, but uh, the the other thing is that you've you've mentioned, and I have to play devil's advocate now because I know what everyone's <laughs> going to be saying. If they, Good. If I mean, we get it. So you've mentioned a lot about focusing on events in Mary's life. And of course, they're going to be saying, well, why are you talking about Mary's life? It should be only Jesus's life. Why are we oh, not yes. saying the rosary about Jesus's life and all of these events in, in the, you know, in the, in the, the, the story of, uh, of our, our Lord? So why focus on Mary in this practice? What is it that people are, first off, what was it that everyone was hoping to do in the, in the old days? Right. What are Catholics doing when they pick up the rosary and focusing on the life of Mary instead of Christ? Well, you're focusing on the incarnation. You're focusing on the mm. moment of, I mean, it's like the Ave Maria is the beginning of our salvation. It's the moment of God's entry into history. It's, it's you know, it's the first temporal event. It's, it's like Lady Day, March 25th, right? Which is why we have December 25th, because they're counting, you know, they're just counting nine months. Um, and the March 25th is calculated with anyway, that, that you're thinking you can do this and you worry about the calendar because you're thinking about the moment in time. Um, and that March 25th date is both the moment of the incarnation and the date of the crucifixion, because the idea is that just as God enters, you know, he's, he's conceived at, in, in Mary's womb on the same day in which he died, um, on, on Good Friday. And that, that, that is a closure of time, as it were. So you are, in fact, always thinking about Christ in this situation because you're thinking about the moment in which Mary became, you know, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. It's in the it's in the opening phrase, right? The Lord is with you. And in my book, one of the one of the things I do is um, read you through some 13th century meditations on the Ave, particularly this one by. Conrad of Saxony, he was a Franciscan, very, very popular. It was attributed to Bonaventure later and, and so forth. He he basically is just going through the Ave Maria, Grazia Plena Dominus Tecum. And he has a whole meditation on the Dominus Tecum. What does it mean to say the Lord is with you? How can how can you understand? Um, you can't understand her unless you understand that she is full of grace because the Lord is with her. So it's all an incarnational meditation. So the rosary is the incarnational meditation where people are praying and thinking on Mary as pregnant with God, as they say, Ave Maria. Right. Okay. So now this is, uh, this then is, is quite a, uh, almost, it, it could seem like an almost revolutionary way of viewing the Christian story then, because suddenly instead of focusing on uh, Christ, uh, you know, in the manger or, or Christ grown up and doing miracles, we're focusing on Christ already in the story within the womb of the Virgin. 
which isn't a very Protestant thing. They seem to have completely kind of uh, abandoned thinking and talking about the relationship between uh, Mary and her son as having started at that point. It, mm. Would I would I be correct in 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 maybe it's not it's a very particular Catholic thing to be focusing on her pregnant with God and already having that experience of being full full with him mm. filled with him and interacting with him as his mother pregnant with him i mean i don't i don't hear this perspective from protestant well i i mean this is, this is only something i've encountered in the catholic right world. and and you say you said why did i write this book well i i say everybody everybody mm. should know by now because i've said it many times on camera <laughs> i grew up presbyterian and um, you know, we read the scriptures a lot as in, in the Calvinist tradition, and I'm very interested in the commentary on scripture and the, you know, the, the actual textual history of scripture, which is why I've written the books that I have. But Mary was, Mary was not there. And I think I got curious. I mean, tell you how, how to make people get curious about the thing that you wish they wouldn't think about. Never mention it. <laughs> <laughs> Rise and defect. Make it make it so taboo that they go get curious and wonder what all those beads are and go on, you know, they, they start I mean it's like talk about the, the you know, the religious art that's beautiful and they're gonna get intrigued. Um I the, the I, I remember being Mary in a nativity play once in, in, in church and you know that was nice because you got to be Mary in the nativity play. My sense in, in in the in the Presbyterian tradition is just an absence, right? And that absence made me wonder because I say, how could how could if you look at all the Catholic art, you see lots of pictures of Mary um, with the child. I'm, right now, what I'm showing you is Veit Stos's great um, hanging sort of rosary image from Nuremberg, um, where Gabriel is greeting Mary. So this again, this moment which which she's become pregnant. Um, you do get curious about the art and the representations. Um, but I think, you know, ultimately you should get curious about, well, wait a minute, where did Jesus come from? Did he just like step onto stage full grown? We've done that in Drake Alchemicus, right? Because we can, we, <laughs> <laughs> given, given, given our main character and in incarnation with pigeons. Um, but, you know, Jesus doesn't come from like wherever Superman comes from. Um, he's born into the world. So you're going to start wondering about that mystery. And that's clearly what Luke does, why he has the stories in the in the scripture. It's like you have to have the physical incarnation as part of the mystery. Otherwise, the crucifixion is nonsensical. He's, how can he be actually dying if he wasn't actually conceived? Interesting. So then, so then the the focus on saying Ave Maria in the in the Rosary or like having this prayer practice is getting people to focus on the incarnation of God. Yes, but that would I be accurate in saying that? Okay. So, in focusing on the incarnation of God, what is this intense attention doing to people that are have, that have this practice? More than say focusing on the crucifixion. Um, well, they will focus on the crucifixion. I mean, the, the 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 rosary has a. I'm showing it again. It has a cross, obviously. Okay. So you you are you are 
bound to be thinking about the crucifixion as you're saying the Ave. And that is, I mean, it, it, it fits in the, in the meditational mysteries, the joys and the sorrows, which are a medieval pairing. Um, my first book is all about Mary's compassion and, and grieving with Christ on the cross, right? My From Judgment to Passion is about the crucifixion. Um, so focusing on the incarnation is also focusing on his death that 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 being mm -hmm. part of the part of the point right and um you know it a weird kind of cri criticisms i guess would be saying if you focus too much on mary you'll forget christ and it's like how you're, you're clearly not focusing on the mother of god then mm -hmm. um and focusing on her joys you should also always be attending to the fact that born he died mm -hmm. so yeah so then the beats are kind of a loop of time of the, yes. the story of salvation. Okay. Nicely said. Yes. Okay. All right. Um, yes. Now in Mary in the Art of Prayer, you, you, you talk a lot about the, the Christian practice, the medieval Christian practice of saying the rosary to Our Lady, of course, to make her happy and remind her of when mm. Gabriel announced that the, she was pregnant with the Lord. But also you, you, you talk a lot about people specifically requesting the intercession of Our Lady in their lives and that them saying Ave Maria was kind of co-relationship with her as uh, intercessory uh, uh, saint. So mm -hmm. because this is very scandalous, like I, uh, <laughs> we have a... We the have incarnation is scandalous. That's the point. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So we have we have everyone who's going to be saying, "Oh, well, you're asking her for help. Why are you not going directly to Christ? Why mm. why 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 is it particularly that the medieval Christians were so uh, devoted to her and uh, were um, so uh, so focused on asking her for uh, for is for them for intercession for them? What is it about her role with the Lord that made them?" Uh, turn to her and, and focus their attention on her well what i think and what i i say in my book is i mean there's there's two ways one because she is the place where you pray she's the temple mm. um so of course you're going to pray through her i mean there's there's all these names for her that are like gate and, and things like that but she's fundamentally the temple right she is the place where you pray so in, in that sense, she yeah. is, where else are you going to go to pray? There's, there's, a, there's a lot of language in the, in the high middle ages of her as the image of the church and modern Catholics may be familiar with that because there's a big debate around Vatican II about whether or not to include a whole constitution on her separately as in the mystery of, of, um, in the theological mysteries or whether to include her as they in fact did by a vote of very, very close. I should know the numbers, but it was like a thousand and one to a thousand in the of the fathers at the church at the council. But it, they include her in Luminigentium, the 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 the, the um, do document on what is the church, arguing that she makes it makes sense to talk about her as the church because she is the image of the church. And it's like, okay, those are I've written a lot about this in my my scholarship. Frustrated because you do need to see her separately. And not just as the you know the woman building 
um, as it were. But she's, yeah. she's also the woman congregation. She's the image of what it, we are in our faith and our, in our looking to God. Um, but in, in the medieval tradition, she's very much this holy place which enables you to pray. It's like, how are you going to pray otherwise, except for, and Anselm of Canterbury describes her in this way. It's like, you, you show to the world the, the, its creator whom it had not seen. She makes it possible to have a focus at all um, properly in, in our prayer because, you know, without her, there is, she, she is the temple in which we pray. So that, um, also because I think medieval Christians took the incarnation very seriously. They, they were, um, it, particularly in the in from the 11th 12th century highly aware of the fact that jews found that the whole thing disgusting um mm -hmm. <laughs> and they talk about that in dialogues that they have with contemporary rabbis um i talked about this in my first book some where it's like saying you know how 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 could you say that you know god came forth from a menstruating woman um which mm -hmm. if, if you know the the Talmudic teaching is, is of course, made she's Nida, she's she's defiled, and also yes. that she's she's a whore and things like that. Ritually, but ritually it, impure, Nida. Ritually impure, right? And so they're saying, you know, she was she was, you know, ritually impure, and it's disgusting to think that God came out through her private parts. Um, well, the Christians, at least at the ones that I've been, you know, studying in my my these commentaries, is that they say, yep. <laughs> sure did <laughs> and and you know then they worry about how that means you know that what whole kind of holy of holy she is that god dwelled in her as the ark and and so forth like we've talked about but no they're very they're very very focused on the fact of the reality of her flesh and his flesh and so she's you know conceptually this temple but she's also physically the place where he was you know incarnate Mm. So this, so this is where you see all of the Christian art, where it's the 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 Virgin, Blessed Virgin, and she has her son on her lap. You know, I always used to see this uh, in my ancient history days, prior to becoming uh, a Copt, where I was very confused, looking from the outside on why Catholic and uh, Orthodox were always drawing pictures of a mother and a little baby, mm. because it's not, a, it's not, a, it's not. A, Again, you know, sorry to bash the Protestants, but I'm going to do it. Uh, Protestants don't draw this. They're not so uh, enamored with this this icon, this repeating uh, pictorial pattern of seeing the mother and the child, the mother and the child. Uh, a lot of a lot of them would uh, have said and, and did say to me, and for a while I thought this was the case that it was a kind of um, reboot of ancient pagan practices where you see. You know isis holding horus or something like this uh right but it seems like from what you've described this is much more that they're uh they're focused on trying to emphasize the point that there is a a flesh and blood uh relationship uh between christ and mary as the mother and child because he became man so he has to go through the process of being baby in the womb and then coming out and being the baby and everything um mm -hmm. which uh, as you said is 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 the scandal <laughs> um why why does our culture or i should say why are we so uncomfortable with focusing on that where the medieval christians were so focused on it what 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 has made us almost uh 
embarrassed to 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 meditate on that as much as they they did when it was such a um you know such an important part of their meditations we skip, you know, we skip over all of that messy stuff you know we skip over everything it's just messy we don't want to talk about the birth process and mm -hmm. and you know all of that kind of stuff whereas in medieval paintings you know you see uh the madonna half the time she's got one of her breasts Hanging out, she's feeding a baby, and everyone, of course, looks at it and says, "Oh my God, it's terrible! It's... Boobs are everywhere." But they were actually everywhere in the medieval thinking of this process, right? So why are we so uncomfortable with it? Why were they so comfortable with it? Oh my goodness, that's another book. Um, so, <laughs> so, it's so, so some would no, some would argue, and we actually had a conversation about this a couple of years ago when in. Dragon Common Room, because I was talking about a book that I tried to write a review of that never got published. The review never got published because it was requested for a psychological journal and, and they didn't like what I said. And because <laughs> I was so frustrated with the book, it was called Imagining Mary. And um, he actually, I, I've blanked on his name. I might have it. I, I, it's, it's a double barreled name and, and it's a, it's a, lapsed Catholic who, who wrote it was quite frustrated, saying that in fact, um, in the Middle Ages, the they were, you know, fully as squeamish as a we are and all this imagery about Mary breastfeeding her son is, you know, in context of aristocratic women sending their babies out to be wet nursed, which did happen. And that's that's true. So in, in the Renaissance, um, I've also and, and, and there were other things in that Imagining Mary book where he's saying, you know, Christ was basically a uh, who's a masochist who say it says to it doesn't say to his mother from the cross um you know woman behold your son to john because he's giving her over to john to be cared for but rather because jesus is saying to her um having having spent his whole life not knowing who his father was tormented by these kinds of stories that become part of the the um talmudic critique of jesus right saying he's mm -hmm. he's a the, the bastard son of a whore um, that he um, hated his mother so much that he says, look, you, you, you gave me a fake father. I'll give you a fake son. Here's John. <laughs> and, and the, the, the author of this book, this imaginary Mary argument did it on the basis of it's why I was asked to write the review, did it on the basis of all the medieval um, texts. So it's quite possible to read it differently from what I'm, I'm suggesting here. Um, there's also a, another another book that I did get the review published by Gary Waller, um, who's done a, a lot of research on Walsingham and on the late medieval devotion. And his his book, he's saying, oh, these scholastics, these late medieval scholastics, they all got really purient. I mean, they're celibate men, so they're all purient, and all they're talking about is Mary's Mary's parts. Okay. <laughs> and that one that one's funny because i say no that's actually reproducing the protestant critique of the medieval practice saying it's all purient is it in fact purient to be worrying about it i think the thing is i think we are so psychologically traumatized ourselves i can't answer that question i don't know <laughs> I, no this is it it's like i've spent all these years trying to understand what i see is this very very beautiful devotion and you know that we see in the catholic tradition carrying on i think i think there's some anxiety uh, among all modern christians about exactly what it means and i i would say based on my my you know my research and my scholarship my practice and my my own 
you know, quest, we are very anxious about it. Probably we should be because we need to understand mm -hmm. what it is that the incarnation means. Um, but why modernity, I mean, I say to turn your question around, modernity became very, very anxious about this whole mystery. And we're, we're stuck there right now. We're still stuck there. Psych psychoanalysis takes us there and we, it never gets out. So that explains the Atlantic article then. The, the, I think this, so, probably. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's, the, it's the kind of the, the, the scandalousness and the shock of, of suddenly looking at, at uh, people uh, who have stepped into the frame and are practicing this devotion in public uh in a very uh in a very powerful and uh, unapologetic mm -hmm. way contrasted with people that are used to looking at religion only from that external uh perspective as you mentioned before Suddenly we've got uh we've got a challenge then of can you can you maintain your perspective and look at uh these catholic devotional practices only from the outside and then attribute whatever you want on top of them or are you going to start talking to people that are doing it right and talking to the church itself about why it's doing it maybe is this some some part of the uh the anxiety around the appropriation by gun-toting right-wing extremists perhaps well I I, the thing is yes i think the, the anxiety is around it already right so mm. you can just attach it to anything else and the okay. The, like um, a rosary, like a rosary, but <laughs> the but the anxiety. I think I think this is no. This is this is this is good because the what what Lewis was showing in his meditation and toolshed was we already have this anxiety about faith and and, mm. and religious practice. I, I mean, he's describing the way anthropologists talk about all religious practices, right? And then they go native and they, you know, they, they find themselves almost believing whatever it is worldview that they've been taking on. So, you know, there's a, there's a fear of conversion always. Hmm. I think if you can, can you take, I mean, it, whether it's magical or whether it's like training the attention, exactly what is it um, that convinces you to take on this worldview? Clearly people can. And then I mean, what, what Lewis showed in his meditation, you see things that people from who are standing outside the beam cannot see. And I say this in the book and think you're crazy for describing, yes. right? It's like they, they actually, it's like people at mass, if you're focused on the altar, I was, I was showing, I was trying to figure out which picture to show best. I have um, this amazing altar piece, which looks um, like it belongs in Prague. I mean, not Prague, in Krakow, thinking about Prague from our previous episode, looks like it b belongs in Krakow, which it should, because it's a copy of Veit Stos's great carved altarpiece in Krakow that a copy was made for Cantius in, in Chicago, right? And it's this incredible scene of all of the events. I have it in the slides because it's it's a meditation on the different events in, in the salvation history. So you could say you could say your rosary looking at this altarpiece because it's got images of the, the various scenes in the story. Um, if you if you have that kind of altarpiece with the mass being performed in front of it, and you've got the whole congregation looking towards the altar, which we should be towards the priest with his back to us, which he should have, um, you know, standing standing in front of our Lord and and making the offering to God. If you're if you're on the outside looking at that, there'll be all sorts of things that that group of people do that you look nonsensical, right? Whereas 
to the people with their focus on the altar, it all makes sense because it's it's within the the light of their understanding that they have. Um, why psychologically modernity has gotten so unwilling to look at that light is mm. maybe a topic for a, another stream. <laughs> but 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 <laughs> no, I think we've we've gone to the point. It's like yeah, that that Atlantic author was able to to, to do the trick that he did with the the, the political argument specifically because you're doing it with a practice that clearly people enables people to focus on on that mystery the mysteries mm. and that's what i think what people also get when people say how do i do say the rosaries they're worried about well is it going to like I, I i i mean the the colloquial version would be am i going to have visions right or um i think this the window that i showed at the beginning is a saint and i couldn't figure out which saint she is um, but she's got a rosary and she's, you know, looking up and you can say, am I, am I going to see external visions? Well, if you've trained your imagination and your understanding with the mysteries, you will see in the proper sense of understanding, which is the, the sort of ladder that um, medieval monks use from reading the scriptures to meditation, to prayer, to contemplation, that you'll move yourself through these, the knowledge to the point where in your contemplation, you rise up to understanding and, you know, we don't see with the saints as, as they see, whether they see the face of God now or in, in, in only in heaven, but that, you know, it, it's a kind of trained understanding that is also affective. Whether you need external visions or apparitions, I, you know, I tend not to think so, but that's because apparitions are not the same sort of thing in the medieval period as they are now, these external multi multiple vision experiences mul multiple viewer experiences from your book it seems much more that it was an individual experience to have these kinds of visionary or um uh imaginative uh, uh experiences right right I mean, because you're trained you're trained in the liturgy to meditate on these scenes and so you mm. you you know you have a, a a sense of those scenes and you know there's a there's a whole sub industry sub industry a sub a sub scholarship in my field on medieval women mystics people like Hildegard of Bingen and Elizabeth of Chernow and Gertrude of Helfta they're all trained in the liturgy so their visions come in the moments of the liturgy they come when they're in prayer mm. so. I'm I'm thinking of this in terms of uh, f first off the the fear people are going to be taking up this rosary and perhaps having those experiences because I mean obviously some people are going to do this deliberately they'll say oh I want to have mm. visions and I want to have all of these kinds of different supernatural uh, uh, manifestations but some people are actually quite terrified of this happening there's a reluctance to go into a religious practice for the very reason that you look like you're a lunatic if you're having a kind of supernatural experience <laughs> well you look uh, like a lunatic culture, kneeling in the street with a hundred other people too so yes so it's maybe is is this that people are taking them too taking themselves too seriously because the the uh even kneeling is is it looks uh kneeling in the street looks too um too scandalous let alone having visions 
Well, so I think most most spiritual directors would caution against one, worrying about having visions, right? That 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 that, and I say, okay, so now we've gotten to the, you know, what what do people worry about with prayer? If it becomes too formulaic, does it become magical? Right, that you can uh-huh. you can expect certain things to happen if you do it right. Right. So if I say these beads correctly, which, you know, you should, you should only these, I mean, they might be blessed. Mine aren't, I don't think nobody blessed these yet, but um, they're, they're just props, right? Like my statue, I've, I've had people complain about how I've an idol on my set and things like that. It's like, these are mnemonics They're I mean, so the scripture is a mnemonic as well, that you, they are meant to help focus your attention. If you turn them into something like, if I read this, this is what, you know, the, the fundamental problem that I have with when we, we worry about the solo scriptura setup and stuff, the fundamental problem that I have with arguments over whether or not the words are exactly right is you've already tripped over into magic. You're, you're, you're starting to worry more about in like medieval, in medieval p- pagan practice when you have to say the prayers exactly right. And if you f- flub up, in Roman practices, the Roman pagan Roman practices, you say anything wrong, you have to start over. Well, no, <laughs> we know, we know there are miracle stories about how the devil comes and picks up all the syllables that you miss and things like that in your prayer practice. But the the point for Christian prayer is, it's all about you know your own attention on God, and your laziness is depriving you of your 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 you know attention not that it's Mm. not going to work whereas if you're starting to worry about did i say exactly the right number did i miss any did i it's like no now you're worrying more about the practice and the mechanism of it than you are about um thinking about god Mm. so it's kind of like uh singing singing a hymn versus focusing uh consciously on what your vocal cords are doing and what your jaw is doing and what your tongue is doing and and making sure that you do everything perfectly in that way Mm. yeah it's it's sort of killing the uh killing the devotion this obsession an obsession with perfection is killing the aspect of the of of the rosary it can yes um i mean when you're saying thinking about your physical performance that's different i think Mm. Right. The, the, what I was talking about was the fear of making mistakes. Right. And, okay. and that all magical practices always have those sorts of everybody knows it from the movies and the, and the you know, the, the, that, that kind of thing that I keep getting tangled up in my rosary. It's pretty funny um, that, that if you if what you're worrying about is, did I say it all absolutely correctly? You're worried you're 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 turning into a, a magical exercise or okay. a you know, the performance itself is meant to have a particular ethic, efficacy, a particular function. Likewise, if you're worrying about, did I feel all the right things? Or, mm-hmm. um, you know, yes, if you're, if your mind's wandering, you know that. Bring your attention back to, you know, the mysteries that you're trying to meditate on. But if, if you're worrying about whether or not it's like triggered your visions, there you've fallen into the, you know, the, the, the other, it's like high, it's, 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 it's no longer considered prayer. It's considered trying to op- make it operative, right? You somehow have created this experience. Mm, okay. So when, uh, when you're talking about the, the hours of the, of the Virgin, mm. uh, there, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, uh, 
repetition in terms of the psalms that people are saying when they're doing this prayer right. practice. And I, I wanted to ask you about this because, I mean, before we mentioned the scandal of the incarnation uh, with uh, the, uh, the people who are not uh, believers of the incarnation of Christ right. as God, which is not just Jews, obviously, the, the, the Muslims also do not uh, hold this to be true, uh, and various other heretical Christian sects. But in terms of the, the prayers that are being done with the rosary and the, the hours, there is a focus on the Psalms. Um, and I wanted to ask you about why this, why would, this was so important that the, this Christian prayer practice of saying the hours focused on the Psalms and focused on repeating the Psalms mm -hmm. so much. Um, because obviously there's a conjure God, you know, it's not like a magical practice where we're going to right. say the Psalms and then we'll get this kind of thing at the end of it. What exactly are they doing in repeating these things every single day? Uh, and so frequently, like, can you, could you kind of explain that to me uh, in the sense that why all the repetition, what are they doing? Okay, so now I got I've got both the historical and the and the practical together again. Which they're very hard to keep separate. <laughs> okay, so um, I said I like I like keeping them together. Okay, we'll keep them but... together. And I, now I'm showing them Catherine of Cleves again, which is a book of hours, which is for saying the Psalms. Um, this manuscript is famous because of these marginalia, and I just picked the one that I found. Someone tried to make this rosary, which was which was nice. But you say the Psalms are there with the rosary. The rosary was not, as far as we can tell, historically given to Dominic. Um, but what it is, is the re there is a good reason why it is 150, if you say the full thing, and therefore adding a luminous mystery actually messes up the numbering. Um, if you say three sets of 50, you're saying 150, right? Mm -hmm. What the rosary originally was, was a psalter. <laughs> there are 150 psalms and and that's why it's in sets of you know five of tens of, of 150 that the original practice was in fact trying to say the psalms in you know it's like you say 150 psalms for christ so we're going to say 150 aves for mary and it, it's 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 a parallelism that they're they're trying to meditate on so when you're asking about why are we saying all the psalms this is in fact where the the rosary as a as a, a a numbered thing comes from because you're trying to replicate all the psalms okay so why are you saying all the psalms well then you go back to the the egyptian desert <laughs> um or or you go back even further to the temple we said that mary is the temple and so the practice here is going to be a temple practice that the the psalms are the hymns that were sung in the ancient temple worship and um, in my book, I, I draw a lot on Margaret Barker's reading of what goes on in that temple worship. But you can see it in Chronicles that the, the Levite priests stand on the steps of the temple and sing and play their instruments. And in those moments when they're singing and playing their instruments, that's when the, the glory would fill the temple and the smoke would, incense would flow out and the light shining and everything. That The Psalms are praises to God and they are the, the fundamental prayer practice of this this ancient tradition. Now, when um, Jesus comes, he shows the way in which he is himself the Lord who's described in the Psalms, and the ancient Christians use the Psalms as their, 
their prayer practice, right? The Acts describes them singing hymns and psalms and, and so forth. So from the very beginning, we have Christians recognize the psalms as being sung to the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. And th this then gets, you know, dangerous and very, very controversial. It's like Christianity is the fulfillment of this tradition. <laughs> and that medieval Christians recognize the Psalms as spoken by Christ, right? There's there's a number that are said Vox Christi in their Psalters. They, they label them and say, okay. And in fact, St. Francis, when he's trying to come up with his own little prayer practice of the office of his office of the passion. He takes Psalms that are described in the medieval Psalters as said by Christ and imagines himself, you know, through, through those, right? So the Psalms are said by the Lord who is identified with Jesus Christ. So they are both the, the words, as Augustine said, the words that God wanted said about himself because they're inspired and they are the words that God said about himself. So when you're mm -hmm. saying the Psalms, if you you as a Christian are saying the Psalms, you are very often ventriloquizing God. Um, it, what's interesting is, is the other side of it is the Psalms are the one place in Scripture where the soul speaks directly to God, right? I, 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 it, the pronouns are there. <laughs> so... Um, it, of course, the Psalter is is the book. If, if medieval Christians learn to read, they learn to read the Psalms, and medieval Christians learn to read the Psalms. The, the literacy is very closely bound up with the Psalter, and uh, even more closely bound up with the Psalms that are used in the Marian hours. So, in books like the one I'm showing, Catherine's book, which is basically fat type, right? Medieval books of hours have the big type uh, because they're basic readers for everybody. That you're reading the Psalms. All caps, all caps. Well, sort not really, <laughs> but but they're they're. I mean, this is. I say I I don't really say the the rosary um, myself. I, what I say is the hours of Our Lady, which is mm -hmm. in this nice little office of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Um, I I do recommend this one. I'm not really Angelus Press um, hours is is the is a very nice volume, and this kind of little book is the the sort of book that if you had a book in the middle ages you'd have an, a book of hours um, and and know these psalms and that is it's like the ground of the rosary practice is interestingly a more complicated practice of saying the the, the psalter so the 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 psalter is sort of transformed into the rosary in the sense that uh in instead of holding the book people are then using beads would that be one way of looking at it well they they tend to end up with both i'm looking at here's a woman holding her beads okay. in a painting um what we i i was looking for illustrations for tonight and I know a lot of books that you see paintings from the later middle ages with people holding their books of hours and they often have fancy covers. And obviously the books of hours that we have now are very beautiful and they have pictures in them and so forth. Pious lay people ended up with all of it, right? <laughs> You'd have, okay. and, and they do now, right? At, at Cantius, they all have their books and they all have their rosaries and clearly, um, you know, it's, it, it's like you accessorize your focus. So they're not exclusive. They don't, they don't cancel each other out. So speaking of accessorizing, <laughs> what would you say to people that are using the rosary as a kind of fashion accessory? 
I, they're beads. I mean, if you're going to be worried mm. about, I, if they're going to, don't make them into magic objects. Sure, fine. Uh -huh. wear, wear them as necklaces if you like. I mean, I, I, obviously people get attached to their own particular rosaries, the, the objects mm. that they have because they've been blessed, because they were gifts, because they're quite beautiful. Um, I, I talked about St. Francis. I mean, Francis tried to make sure that his own brothers recognized that they shouldn't be attached to any of their possessions. And there's one famous story where a brother is saying, I would like a breviary and, and Francis throws dirt on himself and says, I'm the breviary, I'm the breviary. Don't be, don't be turning your, your devotional props into magical objects and, and worrying mm -hmm. so much about that. Our Lord is, 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 you know, Christ and not these trinkets and toys. Yeah. So I'd, I'd say you're not, you stop worrying about it. <laughs> okay, They're so pretty. You're not you're, I'm not you're, bothered. Yeah. <laughs> so if it helps you, it's fine. Wear them. If it helps you with your prayer practice, create a, you know, a sort of regular practice around, say it in a particular setting, a particular time of day, so that it keeps you doing it regularly. That's good, right? That that's, that's appropriate. But to start worrying about anything and make it into, into more than just a, a, a tool, you're making it into mm. itself the focus and that is not good so the image that just popped into my mind to explain that would be that you've got married couples that wear wedding rings and essentially the ring isn't the marriage it's just the symbol of the marriage right. to help people remember remember that they're married <laughs> signal that they're married but also to get them to meditate on that whenever they see the ring right but it in itself is not the love of the spouses or the marriages that would be the way of looking at it whereas if you're looking at the ring and saying this is my marriage that's when it becomes the magical object like if that right. ring is uh yeah it sort of replaces the relationship don't make the magical objects mm. and and that i'd say this okay now we got to a whole nother place that, that saying like this i'll put this altarpiece up at, at cantus again um Religious art belongs in churches because it, it, it's, it's a prop for what goes on in the church. Um, you know, I have, it, it's interesting. I, some years ago, tried to do this meditation on what do you do with religious art that's in museums? It's like, well, it's, mm. it's not, it's kind of not religious anymore because the setting's wrong. Mm. Uh, although museums are their own kind of secular religiosity. It's a, a religiosity of culture, right? So you could be cultured in the museum. Um, but this is being outside the frame. Yes. It's being outside the frame. Okay. If, if, and, and you can, you know, you can be affected by wanting to see these beautiful objects and they're certainly beautiful, but the, the, the ev all of the art in a church is, is stage setting, right? It's costumes and stage setting and props for human attention to help us mm. with our attention. Do not make an idol out of any of it. So it absolutely should... make it beautiful because it, it helped. It's like, why do we dress up to go to church? Or why do you know, why do you dress properly for particular occasions? It helps you put your heart mm. and your attention into the right place, but it's not magically going to make it happen. There, and there's actually, I, you know, in my, in my book and in my, in my scholarship on prayer, I've talked a lot about this, that there's great worry in the, in the medieval tradition about, um, 
like vocal and mental prayer and things like that. But they're always worrying about, is it sincere? Is, is it, and I say it's actually focused. Is it taking your mind and your, and your soul to the place that you want to be going? And it never works automatically. It, it can't because it's not a magic practice. Hmm. So th this seems to be the, the kind of fear that the, uh, the Atlantic writer was, was, um admitting mm. maybe uh, that suddenly you've got all of these young radical catholics running around with rosaries and that, that they would be like magical objects somehow that uh, uh people not understanding how the rosary is used and uh, why people would be using it in the first place it's this kind of uh uh, magic fetish, you know, that suddenly everyone has a rosary and then all of a sudden the, you know, the, well, the effect on everything is going to be transformed just because they're uh, holding them. Well, no, I think the Atlantic author, insofar as so we're psychoanalyzing him, but um, the, mm. the, the fear there is he's he's attributing it to it a kind of power it's 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 saying you know it's uh, not overtly i mean the, the actual thing is praying together is the faith is the church right we pray mm. together and um there's the the phrase about you know two or three gathered in my name that we there is such a thing as the faith of the church the faith of us praying together as a community and you know congregation of the church, the ecclesia, the, the congregation, that praying the rosary together with others does strengthen your faith. So I, you mm -hmm. know, I think he's 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 responding to that fear of the actual church, um, but the the sort of queasiness that people have about the practices. I don't know. I don't know how strongly magical people are aware of it. You were talking about you know, like attending to your muscles and your sound and things like. What's weird is we are weirdly, a, you know, you can see people doing weird physical ex physical movements in completely other circumstances, and they don't seem embarrassed at all. But they're on treadmills, <laughs> 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 looking at screens or something like that, right? It's like mm -hmm. it's, it's it's interesting how much you know attentional discipline people will give to physical culture or any other skill. I mean, there's idolatry and then there's worship. And mm. it's, you can certainly make saying the rosary idolatrous. And I don't, I mean, maybe if you're doing your physical exercises, if you're, if you're doing physical exercises to be like healthy for, for prayer, it's like the monastic problem, right? Labora, aura at labora, right? You need to work in, in mm. order to have your physical self taken care of in order to be able to attend to yourself in prayer. Like I'm fidgeting around right now in my chair because my back hurts because I really don't have the right cushion. Right. And it's like, if I were actually strong enough to sit up straight for two hours like this on camera, you do the prayer is understood as a very physical demanding practice, particularly sung prayer in a, in a choir as the monks will be doing it. Um, yeah. But anyway, it always, it comes back to your attention and purpose, not the, not okay. the practice of itself. So you might actually want to attend to your muscles in that being a kind of attentional practice so that your prayer is properly focused, as it were. 
Well, this is a big problem because we have a we've. I mean, we've already had comments <laughs> regarding the length of, the, of of our conversations together, but it seems like our culture has a complete attentional deficit. Mm. We don't have the same ability to sit down for uh, the the lengthy period of time that people were um, saying the hours. I mean. Uh, how how long would would a lay person have spent praying every day? I mean, your book talks about a lot of uh, examples of um, different people that are spending quite a lengthy amount of time in the morning, uh, uh, just just saying their morning prayers. Well, so I actually, so I, what I say is matins and lauds, which is the the, the sort of standard description that we seem to have of medieval lay people they say matins and lauds if you say it enough you memorize it the mm. the scholars at eaton famously said the matins and lauds of mary matins of mary while they're making their beds right it's, okay. it's so it's so ingrained in their tongue and their their voice that they could say it without having to read the book and we know that people knew the psalms and the, therefore the marian hours without books as well so they're saying them it i say it in latin and it takes me about a half an hour to do matins and lauds Okay. Um, it seems like they're probably not singing it if they're not in a m monastery because the lay people don't have the vocal training. Mm. Um, so you'd say matins and lauds, whether they say the rest of the hours is harder. Vespers takes about 15 minutes to say, right? So, I mean, you just certainly easily spend as much time checking your social media <laughs> as, as they would, um, spend saying these hours but you can incorporate it into once you you know really learn them it's clear people could do it while doing other things okay as well so it's it's a focusing of your mind while you know you are attending to and properly you know go to mass and and say your hours while the priest is saying mass I'm thinking about the uh, the the difference then in how that sort of it seems it's completely integrated in daily life the way you've just described it versus uh, that magical thinking a lot of people are trying to pray which is very formally. Mm -hmm. So I've been asked here um, a couple of times in the last few months. If I'm sitting down at a dinner table with somebody and uh, someone said, oh, you know, would you like to say grace for us, for example? We don't really do these long, drawn-out, formal prayers at the beginning of a meal. Um, but, uh, you know, that's that's kind of been a, a development that there is a specific uh, a specific time for this kind of devotion and then it's it's not connected to, to any other, uh, daily, daily life. But the way you've just described it is that people were doing all of their normal chores and then praying as they're doing their normal chores. Am I getting this right? Yes. Yes. And in okay. fact, ironically, our day is actually structured according to the schedule already. <laughs> Um, okay. uh, it's, it's, you know, morning and evening prayer. It's like, why do we start work at, at, you know, at nine and end at five kind of thing. Weirdly enough, the, the, the Anglo world work schedule is according to the hours of common prayer. 
if you think about it, <laughs> which, um, you know, even uh, morning and even song, right? So that we have the kind of schedule that we have, Weber used to, Max Weber and his Protestant ethic and the spirit of capitalism also, you know, like kind of confused things because he had actually also studied monastic asceticism. The sort of schedule of work that we have, it's, it's a monastic schedule, which is, of course, from the Roman day schedule, which... I, in my book, I talk a lot about why the particular hours that we choose. But weirdly enough, our day is already structured so that this prayer schedule is its its like skeleton. Um, so you'd mm -hmm. say morning prayers and then little hours during the day. Every uh, you know the the little ones at nine, noon, three, and then vespers or even song in the English tradition and and Compline. Um, a Muslim prayer practice that's five times a day is basically a, a, a slightly abbreviated version of this monastic. Early Muslims were very interested in Christian monasteries. I was on a dissertation committee of a student who did his, his on Syrian monasteries and the Muslims that visited them. So it's it's that kind of just regular attempt. You turn from whatever you're doing, say your say your little hour, and then go back to your work. It, it's not it's not it, it it gives structure to human experience you said it's a loop of of history but it's it's a loop of the day as well that's the, the hours so the the loop of the day but also an anchor for it mm -hmm. okay yes uh, uh can you teach me how to uh say the rosary the way that you would say it the um like if if I'm going to if I'm going to take a, a a rosary, what's the first thing I would do? Well, I said I don't say it. I I I, I have them. I what I say in the mornings is, Domine labia mere peres et os meum enunciabit laudum tuum Deus in adjutorium meum intende Domine ad adjuvandum me festina Gloria Patri et Filio et Spiritui Sancto sicut erit principio et nunc et semper et in saecula saeculorum Amen Alleluia. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Oh, wait, there it is. <laughs> the, the Ave is, in fact, the invitatory to the hours. And okay. what, it, what it develops, the, 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 the rosary, at first it's, it's a cycle of 150 because it's the Psalter. And, and the early practices of the, the rosary were Psalters of Mary. The Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum is the invitatory to the hours. So it's the, the practice of of saying just the invitatory is like saying the hours without knowing the whole thing. So it's like this abbreviated version of of the prayers. Um, there was something else you said about, you know, do we say these long prayers? In fact, in the monastic tradition, most of this isn't prayer. The prayer is the thing that comes at the very end that's brief, right? It's the actual petition to mm. God. Whereas most of what saying the hours the Virgin is, is saying psalms, which are therefore saying praises of God. You really should be spending most of your time simply praising God. And then you get a prayer at the end <laughs> that should be brief. <laughs> <laughs> so so this is this is something that people will say, oh, well, medieval medieval Christians never read the Bible. So this, you've just flat, flatly disproved this. They read it every day. They were reading it constantly right. all day, every day. And memorizing the psalms yeah. yes they, they i mean they, they'll know the psalms which if you want to understand christian mythology we can do a whole like another episode on psalm the imagery yeah. in the psalms you need to know the lord worshiped in the psalms because he's the one that we actually 
praise. And he is the one who became, I'm showing the altar at Cantius right now. He is the one who became incarnate and is in these mysteries in the, in the, in the events of salvation history. But okay. You're saying what, how would I say the, 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 well, one, I'd say the hours because I, I, I like saying the Psalms and I like praising God. Um, but how would I say the, the, um, the rosary before the rosary? Well, this is the other strand. We've talked a lot about practice, which I think is important, but I, I did want to get in, um, the, the deep history of why saying the Ave over and over and over again makes sense, both in the Latin tradition and in the East, in the Orthodox tradition, right? Um, there's a, this is a, the opening of a hymn. I'll read it in English because I can't say it in Greek. That maybe some of our Orthodox audience may know. Hail, through whom joy shall shine forth. Hail, through whom the curse shall cease. Hail, recalling a fallen Adam. Hail, deliverance of the tears of Eve. Hail, height hard for human thoughts to scale. Hail, depth hard even for the eyes of angels to pierce. Hail, since you are the chair, Cathedra, of the king. Hail, since you bear him who bears all. Hail, star causing the sun to shine. Hail, womb of the divine incarnation. Hail, through whom the creation is made new. Hail, through whom the creator is worshipped. Hail, bride unwedded. You recognize that? Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure the cop. The, I'm not sure the cops say it, but the Orthodox do. We have uh, portions of that which we say. Yeah. Um, yes, I know the Orthodox say this. The uh, the vision of our the Blessed Virgin as the chair on which she sits mm. is very Orthodox. Uh, yes. Oh, all of the images here. So here's another of the strophes. Hail, Tabernacle of God and the Word. Hail, mm -hmm. greater than the Holy of Holies. Hail, ark gilded by the Spirit. Hail, inexhaustible treasury of life. Hail, precious diadem of pious kings. Hail, holy exaltation of devout priests. Hail, immovable tower of the church. Hail, impregnable wall of the kingdom. Hail, through whom trophies are raised up. Hail, through whom enemies fall. Hail, healing of my body. Hail, protection of my soul. Hail, bride unwedded. Bride unwedded. They all end that way. That's strophe 23. <laughs> it's the akathistos. Right? It's, it's, and it's, there are a number of akathistos. Akathistos is just him sung standing, right? This is the Marian akathistos that becomes the sort of standard of orthodoxy because it's, it's said that it's sung, you know, in conquering the enemies of Constantinople when their avars are besieging the city. Um, Big debate about exactly when it's written, whether it's immediately after the Council of Ephesus or whether it's somewhat later, but it's literally a list of aves. <laughs> it's just in Greek, so chaire. This So this is po this is a poetry that's influencing people's ability to grapple with the 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 theology of uh the incarnation as well, yes? Well, it's it's the ancient it's the it's the most ancient Marian tradition, which is Orthodox, which is Greek, which comes out of. I mean, the, this this Akathistos comes following the Council of Ephesus, probably when she's recognized as Theotokos formally in mm -hmm. in the in the, but it's lit, the liturgical prayers, and it's it's a it's a basically a list of Aves meditating on all of the different ways in which she is the place of the incarnation, right? The hail bride unwedded. Um, the interesting thing about Okay, so there's that, right? And then there's a whole tradition 
This is all in my book, so you can get it. That was page 146. Um, in, the, in the Greek tradition, in the Orthodox tradition, you in, end up with a number of feast days for Our Lady, mm. her Assumption, the Annunciation, her presentation in the temple, and so forth. And we have from the 8th century a number of very famous sermons um, by people like Germanus of Constantinople, the Patriarch. Um, here is part of... I'll just keep I'll just keep going because we need mm. to make sure everybody hears this. Everything I read into the internet becomes more streamed, right? Okay. So <laughs> this is Germanus of Constantinople um, on the Feast of the Annunciation. Hail, favored one, the royal robe, purple in appearance, that clothed the king of heaven and of earth who was made flesh. Hail, favored one, the spice-bearing earth and life-bearing container and new vase of unguent from the spirit for the spirit that filled the whole universe with the perfumed scent. Hail, favored one, truly the golden censer and the pure and all holy and spotless treasury of purity. Hail, favored one, all golden and wholly unblemished beauty and transcendent and truly most marvelous dwelling place of the word. Hail, favored one, the, the favored one is their translation of the full of grace, right? Hail, um, Hail, favored one, who caused the sun that is eternal to arise for the world in flesh, a sun who dazzled the whole of creation with his goodness. Hail, favored one, the all-bright cloud of the life-giving spirit, which carries the rain of compassion and sprinkles all creation. Hail, favored one, salvation of those born on earth who transformed grief into joy and joined the things on earth with those in heaven and who loosed the dividing wall of enmity. Okay, it keeps going for pages. And pages. <laughs> the, the, these list of Aves, again, it's like saying, saying the Ave Maria as a practice with the rosary, with the meditations. I say it's a late medieval development of a number of different strands. One of the most important is this practice of saying Ave, Chaire, in the Greek tradition, which reaches the Latin West in the Carolingian period at least this particular, we have a Latin translation of the Akathistos from the ninth, early ninth century. We have a whole, there's a major, famous major study of the Akathistos in, in, the, in the West, Akathistos in Abenland, of um, verses like this, that in Latin, all start Ave or Salve, right? Again, with attribute after attribute after attribute after attribute of hailing Mary as all of these different, in all of these different ways in order to encompass the mystery of the incarnation. Okay. So, so the focus you is could, still Christ. You, you could say it with, you could, you could say Germanus's sermon with a, some beads, right? And mm -hmm. practice yourself practicing through all of these greetings. So yes. It's still all on Christ. It's always, it's all, it's always about the incarnation, but this hailing her, it's not, it's, it's a practice that develops. We saw the beads that come from the Coptic. We have the Aves from the, the Greek tradition. It, it's, it's Christianity. It, it, it's, it's interesting that the strands have forgotten all of these parts because it is actually a great, rich, ancient tradition. We tend to forget about uh, <laughs> our brothers and sisters from other areas, I think. <laughs> a little bit too alas much. alas we should know all the mm. languages yes so this seems to be a beautiful thing to revive wouldn't it be lovely yes another so you end up with 
these long list of Aves, and I have, I'm going to be reading, I read, for example, I have a, my favorite poem. I like this because it was my early, my early efforts at like actually rhyming poetry. Um, this, this is page 92 in the book. And um, one of the uh, Franciscan poets writes this 164 stanza, right? He, he ran it, he overshot from 150. And, and I actually <laughs> translated the whole thing. It's on, it's, it's up online on my Mary, in Mariology blog for my class, right? And he 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 um he's going he's going to greet her in all of the different ways he can. And this is this is how it starts. My translation mostly. There's a one stanza in here by A. G. Rig. Hail, Virgin Mother of Christ! You who by your modesty merited to be called Phoenix of Virgins. Hail, Virgin whose fruit gave to us the end of sorrow and the limit of lamentation. Hail, beautiful Virgin for whose praise neither prose nor meter suffices. Hail, virgin, turning post of evil, vein of life through whom that death, of, the death of foul death is accomplished. Hail, glorious virgin, you who are the comment and gloss of prophetic scripture, whose gloss lays bare that which is veiled by the hard shell of the letter. Hail, virgin, key of heaven, hail, new ship weighed down with novel wares, through whom on full sails is brought the full light from heaven to the blind and wandering. Hail, maidenly Jim, hail, bright star of the sea, hail, treasure chest of the divinity, hail, torch and lantern, whom the supernal light sets light, firebrand of eternal light. Hail, virgin, whose womb diligently sealed, swelled with a new growth, without pain or torment, the splendor and figure of the Father wished to be born from you. Okay, as I said, he keeps going on for 164 stanzas. <laughs> <laughs> So again, with the with the rosary that we focus simply on the Hail Mary, it it's it's a compression of a whole sort of exuberance of of this kind of meditation from the later Middle Ages. So it's the portable version. It's the portable version, right? It's the it's the it's the okay. memorable version because like you can memorize it, and everybody can keep it. And the the Dominicans in the later Middle Ages. Um, by the late 15th century, they, you know, they joined, made um, prayer groups, right? Confraternities where people would get together and say it together and you'd get, you know, badges, I guess, <laughs> if you'd, if you'd said your prayers and such like that. But it's, 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 it's like the um, abbreviated uh, workout that you get in your app that, you know, the, 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 the fully practiced people will do all of their weightlifting and you'll do, you know, your little exercises at home like I do. Um, but it's, 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 you know, meant to make the, the full practice accessible to a, a lay audience or just a, you know, beginners. So it's not supposed to be the, the, the mystifying and overwhelming thing that you need to learn perfectly or else it won't be done properly and, and it will blow up in your hands. Right. Okay. It's, it's meant to be comforting and you can tell people, I mean, people wanted to, they, you know, they carry up, put, put the rosary back up. They carry their beads with them. They have them, you know, pose themselves in their devotional paintings, showing that they're saying them and so forth. But it, it's, it should be something that is, um, you know, a, a, a help to give you some focus. So the, uh, the, the ma it's not going to give a magic effect to piety. So you ca this is kind of the, the meaning that I'm getting. Buy a rosary and then instantly become pious. We actually have to say the prayers. Right. 
<laughs> I I did I I had this whole meditation I had this whole like ex- ex- apology that I wrote and then took out of the book because it, it took me too off target. But um, when people start worrying about what kind of practice this was in the high middle ages, and it's it's like worrying about whether it, and people look at these books of hours and say, oh, did anybody ever do it? And I'm like. Well, you know, people buy a lot of yoga books. I have a few around and, you know, they buy a lot of exercise manuals and they buy a lot of gear and equipment. Of course, not everybody did what they hoped. Right. But, but you can see that people wanted to, I mean, certainly people buy those gym, those gym, um, memberships and they buy the weights and they, they mean to, and it takes discipline and it is, it is challenging, which is why banding together with a group of people to help you keep saying it is good. Um, have your, have your rosary buddies. Right. Um, so, you know, being skeptical about whether or not people did it perfectly, that that's more the recognition of our, our longing for discipline than, you know, saying, oh, we, nobody ever did it. Yes, they did, but some people did it more diligently than others. Yes. You had, uh, this, uh, this little tale in the, in the book, uh, Marion out of prayer where you're describing somebody who uh i forget was he getting drunk my my memory's Mm. gone but he would only say ave maria yes credit for it's credit for you explain that because this was this was a funny part of what you (laughs) described it was all these people like you know some adulterous who was off hoeing some other guy who could barely (laughs) barely utter a prayer they get kind of credit for that right (laughs) i mean so you could you could these are the promotional stories right yes. um that we have collections of- I, just, I found it funny because they're so human you know it was yes. like you're not looking at these these mystical ancient people that were perfect and they were you know amazingly perfect human beings because they were pious christians they were still human beings this was those stories are written down by monks um mainly mainly the earliest collections we have mainly in england mainly from the early 12th century um fun fact one of the earliest manuscripts of this kind of collection is in the library at university of chicago the actual manuscript it's one of the oldest old uh, 12th century manuscripts of this um these are clearly stories that are collected by pious monks um and circulated um first among other monks, right? Because they're trying to get each other to say the hours of Mary and, and say the Aves. Um, and then used as, as sort of um, training promotionals, right? It's like, just say this. <laughs> it's and <laughs> By the 13th century, the bishops at various councils are being told, you need to make sure the laity, they all learn the Our Father, the Ave Maria, and the Creed, right? And th- that'll be enough, right? Just make sure they learn that. So you can, you can it, it flips over into worrying again about, you know, whether people know all the words correctly. Um, but the, the, yeah, there are, they are quite endearing because, and frustrating to, to the 19th century because there's always like mary will intervene for anybody look at this this thief all he did was say ave and she keeps him from you know hang dying when she gets hung um it it's it's yes it's meant to be encouraging it's like look just do a few sit-ups it'll help you (laughs) (laughs) but this is obviously for your soul right it's like do just start right and then and eventually you start adding more exercises and you get the whole hours and you do it in Latin, like professor Fulton Brown does. Um, and you, you know, it's interestingly devotional practice does like develop and you get, you, you, you get yourself trained up to be stronger in your attention and your prayers. 
So it's not something to be done by perfect people. No. <laughs> <laughs> if you're worried about being perfect or proving to other people you're perfect, you've kind of missed the point. Okay. <laughs> um I've run out of my questions for you. Oh, well, this is good. I was wondering whether we can we can check the chat and see whether we our our chat has actually um been talking to us at all. Let me refresh it. I like that. It means Oh, look. Yeah. Look, look, look. Hoes and drunk hoes and drunks should start saying the rosary even if they're Oh, absolutely. Drunks. Well, we've got just, we've got Mel. Just do it. Mel Mel has <laughs> been talking to us the whole time. Hey folks, thank you for joining us. Okay, Silent Draco says I can still carry. Moi. We'll we'll be testing you to make sure you have it with you. Mel says I open carry all over my car, neighborhood and home. <laughs> yes. That's um, the way. Open carry. User number with a uh, kilts as Susie Sue for the win. Good luck tonight. Yes. Thank you. Um, Casey, angry Catholic mog takes a knee in the streets. Alt headline for the New York Times, right? Manual, I said my daily extremist weapon today. Okay, Mel's <laughs> showing off. She's saying it in Latin now. Sancta Maria Mater Dei Ordo Pronobis. Very good. Ah, uh, Mitty. So, what's the ultimate excuse for Mariolatry? Um, praising our Lord. The temple. The temple. Yes, Mitty. Mary's fear of Lord is the beginning. Yes, and and that's in the prayers too. Silent Draco, bring the vampires into the light and poof. Okay. Casey and Mitty. Well, it seems like they've been having a. A fairly good conversation in here. Mitty. Do any of you have questions now for us? Are you still there? Chant it. Alleluia. Same thing. Bravo. Touche. We got we still got Mel. She's our she's our, our, our most stalwart chatter this evening. Ave Maria. <laughs> Ave Maria. Well um, I think we did very well. You know, the the lovely thing about I, any of our topics is it's only ever the beginning. We could keep going. Yes. I have I I realized I read the wrong poem, which I it's like I I have another Walter Wimburn that I actually rhymed. Let me find it. Um wait, where is it? I should have everything memorized in my own book, including where exactly what page anything is on. Um Right. This is the Walter I thought I was reading, but and this one's the one that rhymes. It it it, it shows you how we could keep going forever if, if if kilts let me. Yes. Once I wrote a song of Mary, six in feet, its truth contrary. Now verse I draw from quiver rude, O oh Grace, let me a poet prove. You see, this is my ambition, right? And this part I did actually make a rhyme, okay? <laughs> In praise I sharpen <laughs> blunted pen to cry the virgin's praise again. But oh, that words would harmonize in style with that which I do prize. Vile, brief, and rude though writing be. In praise of you, it's oratory. And all the writer bums become like tongues of angels, cherubim. I kind of... <laughs> <laughs> you get you get whimsical talking about our lady. If all the world turned into quills and Adam's scribes for all their skills, this host could not her praise reveal, nor even match the virgin's heel. 
as many scribes as there are leaves, rocks, pebbles, groves, or dripping seas, could not the Virgin worthily describe in all eternity. If scribes were numbered with the stars that twinkle in the face of Mars, or drops of rain that on earth fall, the matter's weight would crush them all. To praise, therefore, love urges me, the Virgin in all her majesty, and mildly she calls me to stand, the offered reed to take in hand, but I that pen accept with fear, to her dictation I adhere, incapable of finding sense, with her support my sole defense. My reed is blunt and rather slow, my love lukewarm, my thinking low, a student rude I take my seat to write that which she says is meet. So there, she told me to. <laughs> or Walter Wimburn says, so there, she told me to. It's the best I can do. And I could keep writing it indefinitely about the praises of Our Lady. So presumably why people who do say the rosary is their primary prayer practice can't get enough of it because it's joyous. And you, as you say it, know that every Ave you say gives Our Lady joy. And um, if you have any doubt about, you know, the efficacy, you can, there's some miracle stories I can, I can show you. The beginning of our Lord with us. The beginning of our Lord with us. How could you stop saying that moment, remembering that moment? So, well, I think we have reached, we have reached, we've done it again. How do we do two hours? Clearly it's, we keep talking about our lady and our Lord and it's very hard to yeah. stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm no longer worried. I'm going to be arrested for walking around with prayer beads. So that's good. Now I can explain to people why I'm holding them. <laughs> good, good. It, in, in praise of our lady and in memory, in memory of our salvation. seems to an appropriate reason to 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 be ornamented thus absolutely thank you so much oh thank you for asking me questions <laughs> you know it's a kind of fat book i bet there's some more in it that we haven't talked about we'll have to yeah you should we, all get the book and read the book now <laughs> you've got you can, you can there's always homework we're studying you know we're studying the the incarnation how can you ever stop so thank you for joining us. We will be back. Uh, now we have, now that we've been through our boot camp of training and getting our tech up and our practice, and I've learned how to show slides and everything. Um, Wednesdays, uh, for those of us in the North American and European hemisphere, I guess, Thursdays for those down under um, will be our regular time. And we look forward to seeing you in the next stream on the ARC. Thank you for joining us.